I'm excited especially for this episode because I literally haven't even looked at the outline. <laughs> Anyway, I'm Alexis. I'm Mallory. And this is Newtcast. Alright, so today's topic, guys, we're going to be talking about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Still! Still! <laughs> Which is kind of amazing to me because Mallory and I just finished re-watching the film. It was my second time watching. I think it was my third. Okay. I saw it twice in the theater. Okay, yeah. The only other time I've seen it was, like, opening night. So it's been, like, five months and just I hadn't seen it. And looking back on it, it just has felt so, like, not blasé, but forgettable. Like, it's just, you know. Considering how much we've talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think going into it, leading up to it, because it was a shrouded in so much mystery, I think I was more excited for, like, the story of it and, like, learning these characters and all that. But, like, looking back, it's just, like, even as an introduction, it seems a little bit bland. But, you know? Yeah, I do. I'm still excited <laughs> that we have four films to go. I feel like she just stretched out her fingers, right? She just cracked them to get ready for the next few that she's, I think, dying to write. I think this is her, like, getting through her first film. Let's hope so. So today we're going to be talking about the themes from that movie. But before that, because it's been a few months since at least I've been on the show, <laughs> we've got a lot of news to cover. So we're going to try and go pretty quickly through it, but we'll see how that goes. Yep. So today in Powder Watch, um, in Cursed Child News, there was just a cute little thing in an interview for Beauty and the Beast during her whole promo tour. Emma Watson was talking about seeing Cursed Child and talking about how seeing Hermione's future made her cry happy tears and just that Aww. she had played that role for so long and was so immersed in it that it was a huge relief for her to know that Hermione was okay. and That, that was so precious. It was. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. So Cursed Child, the, like the one thing of news that I do see are the Cursed Child Awards because I followed them on Twitter for some reason <laughs> because I just love the actors so much. But yeah, they apparently won eight What's On Stage Awards including Best Actor for Jamie Parker, for Anthony Boyle, uh, Supporting Actress for Noma Dumazwani. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, Best New Play and Best Direction. I know they also won a ton of, I think it's called Olivier Awards, but it looks like Olivier. (laughs) (laughs) I am really bad at pronouncing these things. Well, those British people don't say anything correctly anyway, so... So we'll butcher it however we darn well (laughs) please. Yeah, so they won, I think, a record number of those kinds of awards for some of the same things. And I think it's well-deserved. I think a lot of people give a lot of crap to Cursed Child because the story and the plot are just, there's a lot to be wanted. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be wanted there. But in terms of the production value and the acting, it is just amazing. So if you do get the chance to see it with the original cast, guys, I definitely strongly recommend you do that. Um, especially since they're switching out the actors somewhat soon. So they'll be getting a whole new cast in May. So if you want to see most of the original cast, get on it. Also, there's going to be the Cursed Child Definitive Edition that's going to be released on July 25th in paperback, which seems kind of counterintuitive to me because you would think you would want rehearsal version in paperback and like the quote-unquote official version in hardcover, but whatever. I wonder if they're anticipating not selling as many because it's that would make sense because it's like the same book. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to buy it. I'm probably just going to go into a bookstore and look for the differences. Yeah. 
No, I didn't even know this was coming out. This is they just to me. announced it a couple days ago. Okay, the, the actual date. Apparently, insights but, from John Tiffany and Jack Dorn. Yeah, they are going to be putting some extras in there to try and get people to buy it. So they're going to include a Potter family tree, which that'll be cool, and a this is what I'm excited for a timeline of major major Wizarding World events up to the point of the plays timeline. Oh, which, so filling in the gaps. I hope so. Interesting. Okay, that is worth a screenshot. And yeah. <laughs> in my phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but support your local bookstores. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, there's pretty much no Pottermore news that I know about, so we'll move on to Fantastic Beasts. Can news. I pause you there? Yeah. Why is there no Pottermore stuff? Did they just I give don't. up on that? Because it's like, oh, the movie no. came out, so there's going to be two years until the next movie, so we're just going to wait a year until we I'm sure movie. we'll see a lot more stuff when they're trying to hype up the film right. again. That just seems annoying. I'd rather it be consistent. I'd rather a lot of things. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I'm not bitter. Anyway, <laughs> in Fantastic Beasts news, um, so Fantastic Beasts won an Oscar, the first in the Potter franchise, which is pretty exciting, for best costume design. I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't either. Of all the things you could give it an award for, co- I mean, the costumes were cool. I'm not even proud of it. But, I mean, sets is probably what I would go for, personally. But even then. Definitely not editing. <laughs> we were talking about that in our rewatch today, <laughs> about how weird the editing is in this so movie. Odd. But, like, uh, okay, I think the reason I have so many, I have so much difficulty expressing myself right now is because... The costumes and the sets of the Harry Potter movies were so above and beyond right. what they're doing here. I feel like it's almost like a retroactive pat on the back to <laughs> kind of like how the they people. did that with Lord of the Rings, where exactly. they just gave all the Oscars to Return of the King uh-huh. as like a whole franchise thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was also nominated for Best Production Design, but did not win. Mm. I mean, if I were to pick one to give it to, that's the one I would give it to. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Okay. March 28th is going to be the release of the movie, which was... Which is like how we watched it. <laughs> two weeks ago, so, yeah. Oh, Eddie Redmayne recorded an audiobook version of the new edition of Fantastic Beasts, which was released March 14th. Yep. I, I haven't think... bought my copy of the new edition, but I'm going to. It's incredible to me how much I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I know this semester's been crazy for me, well, but... Well, and also I've just kind of taken over the outlines, so you don't have to be on the lookout right, for things anymore. Right, but I like to stay informed on these things, and I just... <laughs> Do you want me to start sending you stuff? But... <laughs> hey, I'm putting this in the outline. <laughs> no, I don't see... I don't even see things on Facebook anymore. It's like mm. my Facebook has realized, look, you don't have time for this. We're just trying to help you. <laughs> yeah, so anyway... He recorded the audiobook version, which I didn't even know until they announced that, that they were making an audiobook version. Personally, I don't really want an audiobook version of this book because it's something that I, like, use as a reference book. Like, yeah. I open it up and be like, wait, what is this one again? Right. Where is it from? So. And also, Eddie Redmayne, like, I had the biggest difficulty in the trailers understanding he, what he was saying. He's a wonderful actor, but he his is. diction leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> and I think it probably has something to do with the fact that I'm American. Yeah. And it's the Brits, right? The accent, yeah, Queenie, probably. everything. I, you normally am very good at it, but when they mumble, it's just hard. It's hard. It's, he's particularly hard to understand. Uh-huh, uh-huh. On the topic of that new edition of Fantastic Beasts, apparently there were some copies of it that were misprinted with a paragraph of text missing. So if you happen to get it, I would hang on to it because it'll probably be worth a lot of money in 
you know, hmm. 30 years or so, just for the record. <laughs> oh, they announced there's going to be an illustrated edition of Fantastic Beasts. They are making it so hard to stay, like, on top of everything now. Yeah. Because there's just so people, many versions of everything. We're doing a podcast on it and we can't keep on. Like, I know. How what are people the who are just yeah. reader and viewer going to understand what to get? Because there's going to be like four editions of every book and play and yeah. wow. So in November, there's going to be an illustrated edition of Fantastic Beasts. I'm unaware of at the moment of whether it's going to be by the same guy who has done the Harry Potter books, Jim Kay, which would be cool, but I really have no idea. I would like to see the illustrated edition for sure because it's going to have pictures of the creatures. Yeah. At least more than we already have. So yeah. that would be cool. The biggest news, I think, yeah. is the fact that young Dumbledore has been cast. Jude Law. I don't have any opinions, so. I'm really excited. I know. I can tell from your face. She's just like, just waiting. I was actually just talking to Saul about this while we were waiting for you. Uh-huh. And I was saying, like, nobody saw this coming, but I trust Jude Law. Good. So I'm very excited. I mean, he's very attractive, too, so that has a small amount to do with it. But I also just love him and everything that I've ever seen him in. Good. So I, don't I feel like... I actually remember him. I know everyone's like, oh, he was Watson in Sherlock Holmes, the mm-hmm. movie. And I was like, I cannot remember that because of Sherlock. Well, he's a very good actor, and I think that he can do a fantastic job. So. I've seen him with a beard, and I approved of that <laughs> picture. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, last bit of Fantastic Beasts news. Um, just this last week, David Yates and Eddie Redmayne gave a little interview with some quote unquote insight on the will we die just a little line that Grindelwald gives at the very end of the movie. Um, of course, since it was a clickbaity article, they made it sound like they were going to actually explain it, but they uh, didn't. Uh. Basically, the gist of what they both said was it was sort of like an invitation to Newt, like, hey, you're a formidable opponent and we'll probably meet again and whatever and maybe one of us will die along the way but they also said that newt was supposed to be confused by it and not understand it and therefore we're supposed to not understand it so basically nothing was really established here so basically it felt like they didn't trust us to know that we're not supposed to understand it yeah. like hey don't worry guys You don't have to know this yet. And it begs the question for me with that interview they put out, were they trying to just explain it away because they realized retroactively that it was a weird line? Or were they trying to just keep people interested because Mm -hmm. it actually is going to be relevant in the future? I have no idea. I think it'll be relevant in the future. I hope so. I think she's a better writer than that. (laughs) And then finally in our miscellaneous news, (laughs) so that Bruce Springsteen song got leaked. I haven't listened to it, but it's out there if you want to listen to it now. I because listened to a portion of it on MuggleCast. They did play it a little bit. That was a few weeks ago. I don't know. I'm not a particular... I don't... It's fine. I've never really <laughs> listened to Bruce Springsteen, so... It was, it was so. cute. It, was, it kind of felt like a lullaby. Not really, but just, I don't know. It was like it was like tender, because it was like a first movie, sort of. Right? Okay. So, yeah, back in those days... Kind of touched on this before, but Jim Kay's illustrated edition of Prisoner at Azkaban is now available for pre-order, and it's going to be released on October 8th, so I'm looking forward to... I love this. ...looking at that in the bookstore, <laughs> as I do with all... Eventually, I am going to buy them all, but I don't have bookshelves to put them on yet, so I feel like, what's the point in just That's true. keeping it yeah. sequestered away in a suitcase under my and bed? And having to lug it from place to place yeah. as you move around. I already have enough of that right. at current juncture, so... <laughs> Younglings brand ice cream came out with a butterbeer flavored ice cream, which has apparently been a big hit, and 
people really like it. So if you can't afford to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter like me, but you still want that frozen butterbeer experience, that might be the route you need to take. Nice. Um, speaking of the Wizarding World, there have been a lot of just little tidbits and teases about expansions to various Wizarding World things around the world, including a Forbidden Forest section of the Warner Brothers Studio Tour in London. And a new nighttime show where they're going to use, like, all this cool projection technology and stuff in the actual park, which sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And then there's been chatter of new rides and things like that, which they had, like, all these blueprints they were showing. And they're, like, talking about what it could be. And it it was pictures of pulleys and pistons. And I'm like, I don't know what this means. (laughs) So I don't know what to glean from that, but there's talk of new rides. I'm sure we'll hear more once it's actually you wrote. You, know, you wrote down that it's something to do with 1920. Well, that's New York. that's separate thing. There's also oh. rumors that they're going to build a whole new section of the park to look like 1920s New York and have it fit in with Fantastic Beasts. I mean, they already have two sections of the park, so I don't know how they expect to do that. But I also don't know what the layout of any of it is because I've never been there. So maybe there's an area where they can squeeze it in. Yeah, I don't know. I think that would be good if we're supposed to glean something from the experience in the theme park and be sort of media literate going into it. Mm. I don't know. I don't want them to build it just to build it, not just for fun's sake, right? I want it to be meaningful in some way. Like, if we're going to be able to, like, collect tidbits from experiencing the park, I think that would be interesting. Other than that, I'm not interested. This is the same girl that cried the opening night in Orlando (laughs) from her bedroom in Jacksonville. (laughs) Watching the opening ceremony. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Fantastic Beasts has not caught on the way Harry It really Potter hasn't. So. All right. Let's move on to our main segment, The Suitcase, uh, where we will be going over themes. Did I put these themes in? No. That was me. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I honestly had no idea if I, like... One day put themes in in the hopes that I would know. Okay, good. So would you like to start us off? Or? Well, yeah. I I mentioned this to you before, but I had a hard time picking themes out of this. And I didn't know if it was because I'm just not good at it anymore or if there wasn't as much to pull out. I found themes in this movie, but I couldn't find much to say about them other than here's an example of this. Like you are saying, just writing down quotes and stuff. <laughs> like I don't feel like there's much... As much, at least, to delve into with this film as there is with the other books and the other movies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even with Cursed Child. I mean, we got way into themes on that one. Oh, yeah. So the first main theme that I pulled out is sort of the most obvious one and something that's sort of J.K. Rowling's wheelhouse, which is this whole theme of isolation and misfits and not fitting in and just people who feel out of place. So obviously the most obvious example of that is Newt himself, who is socially awkward and prefers the company of his creatures to other people. And obviously we see a lot of examples of that throughout the film, and we've talked about it a lot when we were discussing his character. One question I had about that for you, get your insight on this, do you think that this trait of his is more by choice? Like, does he choose to be so apart from other people, or is he just resigned himself to the fact that he's weird? And that it's just going to be a result of his personality. I feel like it's a combination. I think it's developed into more of a choice because I think that's how he protects himself. Whatever happened with Lita Lestrange, I think probably Mm. is something to do with that. Where, like, he had a friend who was a fellow misfit, but even she, you know, was a taker, not a giver, whatever that means. Yeah. (laughs) 
and left him, I think, feeling alone again. And so I think since then, he's probably put a lot of walls up. He went to work in the ministry, hated his job there, went to work in the field, loved his job because I think it did work with animals, not with people, that sort of thing. So I think he's gradually come into, like, acceptance of it, but also has, like, distanced himself just knowing that he can't get close to people again. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure one of the overarching themes of this whole series is going to be him, you know, learning to trust people again and Mm -hmm. getting back out of his shell and forming deeper bonds with other people. And he's already started that with this film, but I'm sure that it'll progress as we see the other movies come out. Yeah, that's one thing that I've said about this film before is it does feel more like a trailer to the rest of Mm -hmm. this version of the series, right? So I feel like we're going to have a lot of open-ended themes of just like it's not completely resolved, but it seems to be going this direction and something to look out for, I think, in the future movies. Yeah, I feel you there. Another clear example of someone who's very isolated in this movie is poor Credence, Mm -hmm. who even in his weirdo family full of isolated people who people don't want to associate with, even among them, he's an outcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything with Credence just makes me sad because me too. Me too. his family treats him terribly. I don't know what his relationship with his adopted sisters is like. I imagine the older one, Chastity, isn't that kind to him. We don't see a whole lot of her no, we in don't. the film other than just her. She seems like Children. the one who follows in the <laughs> mother's steps, mother's steps mm-hmm. the most closely. Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine that she, of them, would be the least nice to him. The younger sister seemed like she wasn't too hostile toward him. Right. She was just, I mean, most of what we saw with her was her being creepy and doing right. hopscotch. So. Being the red herring. Yeah. <laughs> Fulfilling her duty. But we don't see a whole lot of their interactions, so we don't know that. But regardless of any of that, he's, you know, abused by his adopted mother. We don't even know what happened to his original family. Right. He makes one friend that he thinks he can trust, and then that turns out to be a huge Ugh. betrayal. And That's like, it still pulls my heartstrings. Like, that was a well-done part of the movie, I think, because it does affect me so much. Yeah. I mean, basically any time Colin Farrell or Ezra Miller popped up in this film was one of the highlights. Right, So right. Um, Tina isn't as isolated as a lot of these other characters, but, you know, we do see her. She gets fired from her job. She gets ignored a lot from the people who work with her there's that line when she comes home and mrs esposito is like that you tina you alone i'm always alone mrs esposito (laughs) which i mean she does live with her sister so she's not always alone but you know she's an orphan and she just kind of fits in with that she doesn't seem to have friends yeah she's just she feels like a jk rowling character other than the fact that she's a little boring and underdeveloped i have hopes for her though yeah We've talked about this before in our character episode, but with Queenie, just the fact that she's such a powerful legilimens would be very isolating because she feels like she can't form close bonds with people because there's that element of trust that's lost there and because, you know, she hears every good and bad thought that runs Mm -hmm. through their mind. So Mm -hmm. that would be a very isolating factor in her life. Have you watched any of the deleted scenes? I have not. There were a few that popped up online over the course of the DVD being released. And in one... Queenie is talking to Jacob and about just kind of their friendship that's forming. And he asks her something. I can't remember exactly what he says, but something about her being able to read people's minds and how nice that must be. And she says, well, most people's thoughts aren't as nice as yours. Mm, So I thought that was cute and sad at the same time. Um, And then finally we have Jacob who, you know, is a very happy, outgoing personality, but he is sort of out of place. You know, he 
hates his job and he gets shut down by the bankers and he's in this job that he says he feels like he's dying because he's got this creative personality where he wants to make people happy and bake people food and instead he's canning in a factory. Mm-hmm. And also, this was not in the final mer- version of the movie, but he did, in the original script, just get dumped by his fiance. So he's living right. alone in an apartment and really doesn't have anyone. Right. So we get all, you know, our misfit characters coming together to form the new squad. Mm-hmm. We talked to Saul a little bit because Saul watched the movie with us. And something that we noticed in our discussion is that they are somewhat disconnected still. They don't feel like a... Like the the solidarity of the trio where Hermione has a relationship with Harry and with Ron Mm -hmm. and Harry has a relationship with Hermione and with Ron. And, you know, everyone's connected in a different way. Here it just feels like those two couples know each other pretty well, but cross cross those two sets, there isn't much. Yeah, it's almost like a square because, I mean, Hmm. there's Newt and Tina and there's Queenie and Jacob, but there's also Jacob and Newt and... Queenie and Tina, who obviously right. know each other very well. Right, right, right. That's but true. across the diagonals, there's not a whole lot of interaction. Yeah. Sorry, did you have anything to add yeah. on any of okay. those other well, ones? Actually, I just kind of kept rolling. No, you're, that first thing about isolation is similar to something that I picked up on, but I had a different word for it. For me, it was misunderstanding. Mm. So from the from the beginning, when Newt sets foot to New York and gets caught up in the whole bank business, there's a misunderstanding. It starts him off with a misunderstanding. I mean, I guess beforehand you get him getting to New York, and that's just fine. That's exposition. But the thing that whole sets the whole charade or whatever it is off is the fact that they think he's robbing the bank, and you know. Queenie is trying to figure out what he's doing and she thinks that he's breaking in and like doing illegal things on purpose and purposefully didn't obliviate them that nomad and you know like there's all these things that he's not being understood and it goes into I think just about every character from from Newt from Tina not being understood by the uh, president Mm -hmm. you know she's like hey there's this important thing and she's dismissed and a few days later she's like why didn't didn't you tell us us about this important thing and she's like I kind of tried but she doesn't you kicked me out of the room right exactly so there's that there's the second Salemers who misunderstand the witches and the wizards there's Credence who's misunderstood by everyone (laughs) (laughs) Grindelwald is is, I guess, in a way misunderstood, but that's more of a deception. I think yeah. there's a difference there. Langdon Shaw, misunderstood by his father. Like, he's trying to help the paper and, you know, no, you're just being a distraction. Leave, you know? There's yeah. some things that every character goes through. Even the animals themselves, right? The whole magical creatures are misunderstood, and that's why Newt feels like he needs that's to take care of them. That's an excellent point. So that, I caught my eye when they talked about the swooping evil, and he's like, this creature's name is the swooping evil, but that's not fair. You know, he's like, that's not the point. But it does do eat brains. <laughs> Don't I was laughing brains. through the whole movie about all these dangerous creatures and how Newt just, they're not dangerous. He's so adorable. And But, like, even humans to him are misunderstood because he considers them the most vicious people on the planet. But that's his perspective. So, I don't know. Like, it's just an interesting conglomeration. I can't speak today of misunderstandings that I think provides this isolation, provides this feeling of not fitting in with the people around you because you're not being mis- you're you're not being understood properly and you're not mis- you're not understanding the world around you. And I think the one exception of this is possibly Queenie, which especially with Jacob. Right. Yeah, I think those two characters are probably the most understood because I think they're the most earnest, they're the least deceptive. Mm-hmm. Everyone else including Newton Tina are trying to hide something. 
whereas those two are probably the most open. I'm not sure what that means in terms of themes. Like, I haven't really wrestled that through with my mind yet. But it's there. But it's there. And like we said, it's probably just an open-ended thing where we'll see it developed a lot more in yeah. future films. I hope so, because I don't feel like there was any sort of solidarity of, you know, oh, because they were open, they had this result, and because they were deceptive, they had this, right? I don't know. Well, one of the other main themes that I pulled out of here was friendship, which is also, you know, very J.K. Rowling. And I like that you pulled out this misunderstanding thing because it kind of fits in with one sort of subsection I have here, which is the overcoming of first impressions that a lot of these characters do. Hmm. So, I mean, it basically is just sort of a semi-resolution of these misunderstandings where, you know, Newt and Tina, where at first, you know, she's basically just pissed, mad at him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just trying to get away from her so he can find his creatures. You know, they end up on the same team and working toward the same goals and everything like that and seeing the value in each other. Although they don't become their own team. They don't go on their own side by themselves. They're literally put there because they're both sent to be killed, executed executed together. And from that that point on, they are on the same team which is interesting. They don't make that active choice. Yeah. I think a lot of it did have to do with the fact that they both recognized that Graves was no good. Yeah. But, you know, they did also immediately after that get sentenced to death. So it's hard to discern. she, She brought him in. Yeah, so it's hard to discern which one was the greater catalyst of them really mm-hmm. aligning and whether it even matters. I yeah. guess that's their equivalent of a 13-foot troll. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I did notice a friend line at the very beginning. Mm, maybe not. Is it the one that I wrote down? I can keep him if you like. I just noticed that for the first time. New totally adopts Jacob as well. He basically adopts him as one of his creatures. Yeah. Like, he's, they're in his apartment, and he's loopy from the Mertlap bite. And he's like, it'll wear off in 48 hours. I can keep him if you like. So you can totally tell he was planning on just sticking him in, in his trunk <laughs> and just so taking funny. care of him until yeah. he was ready to be released back into the wild. <laughs> <laughs> and Tina, it was no different with Jacob either. I think that's what makes Queenie's relationship with him so special because she pays attention to him as a human. She recognizes his humanity. Whereas, like, Newt was, like, telling Tina, like, y'all have, like, these weird backwards thoughts about nomads or muggles or whatever. Because she does, I think. She does treat him like he's a case and he needs to be brought in or obliviated or not obliviated. He's an object to be, like, handled. Yeah. Um, Newt sees him a little bit more as, like, a creature. Yeah. <laughs> a but living he's still, being. <laughs> but, yeah, he still presents a problem to be solved. Right. And then you have Queenie who actually will, like, understand his thought process and be open-minded to him and wants to hear from him, even if it's just through his brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why they became so close and maybe, I mean, Newt and him get close too by the end. But Yeah. I thought that this concept was nicely summed up by Jacob's quote to Newt at the end when he's like, why did you keep me around? And it's interesting to look at these characters from the perspective of that quote, you know, looking at Newt and Jacob. Why did Newt keep Jacob around? It's because he liked him. I mean, originally he just had to take care of him, but then, you know, he invites him into his trunk. You know, he clearly sees something in him and took a shine to him. And Well, I think one of his four things that he wants to accomplish is rescue, nurture, protect, and educate. So now he's educating. I felt like it was a syllabus. <laughs> he was outlining the <laughs> syllabus. Bless him. He's like, this is the educational part. But then, you know, in the process of that, he does actually form a genuine friendship with him. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas when you contrast that with Grindelwald slash Graves and Credence, you know, why did he keep Credence around? It's because he wanted him for either his power or his access to the power. Right. It has nothing to do with Credence as a person or all of the struggling and suffering that he's going through. He just wants him for what he can get from him. It sounds like there is some sort of theme threading through all of this of humanity, Mm. of what makes us human. Like, even though it's about fantastic beasts... I think... Like you said in your episode with Saul, uh, humans are fantastic beasts, too. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> um, I think humans deserve to be rescued, nurtured, and protected as well. I think, you know... And educated. And educate. Well, like, that's the original thought, right? Is to yeah. educate the humans and to do the creatures for all the rest. But I think maybe having friends is that process of rescuing each other, of nurturing each other, and protecting each other. Which is something that Credence lacked, obviously, all of the three. And it's something that they could continue with with Grindelwald as a villain because he's very much someone who uses someone for what they have and what they can provide for him. Whoa, thought. And uses his charisma to get there, but then dumps them the second he gets what he wants. Okay, so this whole rescue, nurture, protect thing, I'm going to roll with this a little bit. Go. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to back up to a different thought. Credence was saying, one of the parts that gets me the most is when he's saying, help me help me because that is so hard to ask of somebody mm-hmm. and somebody that the one person that has like touched him right of human contact that we learn in the screenplay right of like actually having that human contact that he's craving so much won't even help him like once he's no longer of use he's garbage he's nothing so that is like him asking for that rescuing that nurturing that protection one person I think in the Harry Potter series that has mastered this is Dumbledore, which is the foil oh. to Graves. Oh ho! Because <laughs> what does he do? He rescues Harry from the rubble, right? He uh-huh. has Hagrid rescue him. He nurtures him through all of his growing years in in Hogwarts, and he protects him to like his dying breath, like makes sure that Harry survives that night, even if he can't. All while educating him, of course. But <laughs> I feel like it's just an interesting combination of things that. Yeah. Oh, and we could get so deep into that, too, because, I mean, there's huge debates about Dumbledore, too, and his motives right. for doing all right. that. Like, like it, was that Were ethical? they altruistic or not? Because a lot of it was, you know, for his own means of... To rescue, nurture, and protect the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, that may be something to hang on to that little nugget for the future okay. when we can uh, okay. dig, in, into that dig it into deeper. that little deeper with, it. with some actual preparation to the episode. <laughs> Actually, yeah, looking at the outline and yeah. maybe writing on it, too. <laughs> <laughs> We're professionals. <laughs> but, yeah, I love that. You know what's interesting, too? The one thing, I think the first step of uh, Newt and Jacob bonding was over the war. Mm. That's the one thing they had in common was the war, which is the opposite of those three things. And <laughs> not to bring it back <laughs> to that every time, but it's like that's the killing of people, like the shedding of blood. And, yeah, it's. It's something violent and something that's very much not part of their normal lives. That, you know, like mm. it's something that they're trying to remove themselves from. They're trying to make a bakery, you know, make something to make people happy. Or they're trying to rescue animals, you know, like make these animals and creatures happy and like feeling fulfilled through those things. And I think the war is probably something that is very counter to their their nature as humans. That's an interesting take, too, because, I mean, watching it, especially this time around, I was looking for the times when Newt was sort of starting to really like Jacob, and I was watching him when they're in his case a little bit before that, and, you know, he's seeing him 
enjoying the creatures and being fascinated by all this and being so gentle with like the little alchemies and everything and he's definitely starting to like Jacob yeah but that is like you said with the war thing that is sort of the first thing that they have in common right so that's interesting um, the last major theme that I pulled out of here is repression and not being able to realize one's full potential, which kind of intersects in areas with the whole isolation thing because they are definitely, you know, things that influence each other and produce a lot of the same results. Of course, the most clear example of that would be Credence and just the concept of the Obscurus in general. The fact that the repression of that magic and the, you know, not learning how to control it and give it a useful outlet is what creates this chaotic, uncontrollable force of destruction. And it's very clear metaphor, you know, for not repressing who you are or comes out in bad ways. Yeah, I felt definitely echoes in this whole section probably of... Um, mothers. I felt like there were many mentions of mothers because you have Tina's mother, of course, which is probably a good example, who unfortunately died and passed away too early. And Credence, who calls Barebone Lady Ma, but yeah. she's like, I'm not your Ma. Your Ma was, I wrote it down, a wicked, unnatural woman, which echoed back to me of, if there's something wrong with the bitch, then there's something <laughs> wrong with the pop. Shut up! <laughs> I felt like that. But clearly he's been a lot more abused. And so, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Definitely the tie-ins to parenting because that is a very Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling-esque trope as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Credence would have been like if he'd actually had a magical upbringing because it's pretty clear that he's a powerful kid. And his, so, you yeah, know, his parents were magical. So his magical potential must have been pretty astonishing. Right. In which case... Why did Ilvermorny not find him and have him go to magic school? Also, I really want to know his actual name. Yeah. Something that Mallory and I talked about during the movie today is that, like, she adopted these three different kids from, we assume, three different families. Yeah. Because he mentions 12 kids. Yeah, siblings, it's not himself. And they all have these names like Chastity, Modesty, and Credence. That that must not, that is too coincidental to be their actual names. So, like, what was his original name before he was Credence Barebone? Who was he? And would that give us some, you know, tie back into, like, who he could be or become as a result of it? I really hope we get to find that out eventually. Yeah, maybe in a year and a half. That's a long time. (laughs) It's okay. We've done it before. We can do it again. We have. But, yeah, a lot of questions with Credence and his power and why he, I mean... Was his family even before that repressing him and trying to keep him hidden? Or mm-hmm. was he just adopted really, really young mm-hmm. before Ilvermorny could even pick up on that? You know, yeah. five years old or something. I mean, Modesty was pretty young, but she seemed old enough to potentially be magic school age. Do we even know what age they go to Ilvermorny? No. I mean, we always, I've just Assumed always assumed it was also 11, but we don't know no, for we don't. sure, do we? we? Don't. Hmm. I wonder if we'll ever find out or if it's just going to be one of those dangling assumptions. (laughs) Um, We also see a bit of repression for Tina within Makuza, which is sort of fitting in with that isolation thing. But, you know, she's clearly got at least a very good gift for dueling, and she definitely likes being an aura and investigating and everything. But since she's been fired, no one listens to her. She's not able to really fulfill her potential as a witch and instead is stuck filling out wand permit forms, which, you know, she seems wasted on that, but she also did break the rules of her job, so I don't really know how to argue with that other (laughs) than, like, I don't know, does she get a trial period or something? But Makuza is clearly not a very forgiving organization in general, so I kind of assume not. 
Um, and then we also see that with Jacob, with his wanting to open a bakery, but is stuck in this dead-end factory job where he doesn't get to have his creative outlet and nobody believes in his abilities to succeed in doing that. Mm-hmm. And then there's also Langdon Shaw, who, like you mentioned, nobody listens to him either. Basically, there's just a lot of people not being listened to, a lot mm-hmm. of miscommunication mm-hmm. and lack of communication in general. All right, I guess that wraps up the suitcase for us. We'll move on to the Remember All here, which this week is going to be in the form of a question that I would like to open up to the audience. Do we think that there are other wizarding prisons besides Azkaban, at least within Britain? Because the only other one that we know about for sure is Nurmengard, which is just for Grindelwald. Like, nobody else is in it. But obviously there's got to be other prisons in other continents and whatnot. But at least within the British wizarding world, do they have other places where they incarcerate criminals? Or do they just toss everybody into that nightmarish hellhole where they lose their insanity if they, like, I don't know, robbed honeydukes or something? Or do they reserve it for the very worst criminals and only certain crimes and everyone else just has varying degrees of fines and community service and whatnot. Yeah, that's a very good question. And also, like, what kind of creatures would guard the prison in America? Because I assume Dementors are probably just, like, a British Isles thing or a Europe thing. I don't know. I don't know. Fantastic Beast makes it sound like there are definitely specific areas for these creatures, right, where they're from. Yeah. I wonder if it's, like, the Dementors have been breeded and now shared with all prisons worldwide or... (laughs) Thanks so much for that, England. (laughs) So, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on that. If any of you have any insights or anything that I have missed in the books that hints at other forms of punishment for breaking wizarding law other than just getting chucked into Azkaban or kicked out of Hogwarts if you're a kid. (laughs) Yeah. That is it for our episode today. Next time on Newcast, we're going to be discussing the new edition of Fantastic Beasts. We have a couple ideas for future episodes, especially talking about how we use media to form messages. If you have any other thoughts um, that you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. Yeah, please. See you next time. Bye.